Last week, we looked at the doctrine of holiness, the holiness of God and how that impacts everything we know about God. In him is no darkness at all. None. Nothing. God cannot do wrong. God cannot do evil. Now, we say those things and we begin to say, well, I understand that. But so often we forget to connect those dots. What does that mean that God can never do wrong? It's not in God's nature to ever do wrong. What that tells us is, is that because God never does wrong, we can always trust him to do right. You say, well, that's pretty simple. But the reality is this. Because you can always trust God to do right, that means God will never fail you. That means God will never be selfish. God will never do something out of spite. I wish I could say that was me. That's not me. But God's holiness, we talk about God's holiness and we kind of put that in a category of, well, that's in a theology book. But the reality is God's holiness impacts every day of our life. God's holiness is what gives us the confidence to go forward. God's holiness is how we can make, we, we can know for certain that he is coming again. And the things that he said, he's going to do. That's why we, as we look at our doctrines, we believe in the inspiration of the scriptures, and we believe in a literal reading of the scriptures. Why? Because God meant what he said. And because God meant what he said, it also means then we can trust God that when he says, I go to prepare a place for you, and since I'm going to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, you will always from that point on be with me. You see, we take that literally. And how can we know for certain that it's always going to take place? Because God is holy, therefore God cannot lie. Do you see how this big doctrine impacts practically everything we do? Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. What does that tell us? Because God is holy, he cannot abide, he cannot stay around, he will not allow or tolerate sin. See, we love the fact that God is holy, but you have to connect the dots and recognize that's the reason why we're in such trouble is because of sin. Because God is holy, he can't just go, I'll wink at what your sin is, I'll tolerate the sin, I'll... I'll overlook the sin. He can't do that and still be holy. And we don't want him to not be holy. That's it. God's holiness is a good thing. Now look with me, verse 5. This is what we studied last week. This then is the message which we have heard of him. Who is the him of Jesus Christ? John is saying, this is what Jesus Christ taught. This is what Jesus wanted us to know. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That's what we spent time talking about last week, because when we understand that there is no sin in God, that he's 
holy, that he's pure, that he's spotless. There's not one little speck of darkness in God. That tells us something really important about God. Now, beginning at verse 6, which was our memory verse last week, if you would just follow along as I read verses 6 through 10. There we read, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now with that in mind, let's stop and think for a moment about the doctrine of sin. The doctrine of sin. Now in a theology book, the word is the doctrine of hamartiology. Let me just explain what that means, because that's a big word and your eyes glass over again on me. But this is an important doctrine for us. Hamartiology, hamartia means to miss the mark or to be in error. It comes from a Greek word. So you have hamartia, and then you have this ology, Again, is a Greek word. It means the study of. So what is it? The study of missing the mark. Now that's important because what do we know about God? God is holy. If God is holy and we study about missing the mark and a familiar verse that we read is Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and missed the mark of God's glory. We've come short of what God can tolerate. We've come short of what God is. We read in Ecclesiastes where Solomon said, you know, I've learned there's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. All of a sudden we begin realizing, why is the study of missing the mark so important? Because the study of missing the mark is going to impact my relationship with God. You can't separate those two. So what would be, this is one of the statements that we're working on. It's not in our constitution because we don't have one yet. We're working on it, and then it's going to come back to you, and you all are going to be looking at it. And then we're going to come with a constitution and agree as we establish ourselves as a church. Sin is missing God's perfection. Because God is holy, God does not sin, nor does he, nor is he the source of human temptation, according to James 1. Man is guilty of sin in two ways. Guilty by imputation. That means it's accounted to us. Again, that's a theological word, but it's an important word. We don't want to dumb down the words. We're guilty by imputation through Adam. Also, by our own actions. Man's relationship with God is damaged due to both Adam's initial sin... And as a result of man's individual sin. Because God is just, he must always punish sin. And the consequences of sin always bring suffering. First, sinners suffer guilt. God, placed, God has placed in every person the desire to do right. Guilt comes from giving into temptation. 
from doing evil deeds and from not doing what we know is right. Second, man must suffer death, physical and spiritual. Death separates, physical death separates the, mat, the material from the immaterial, but spiritual death separates man from God. So this morning, as we study what's going to be hamartiology, but it's going to be in a very practical family way that John describes it here in John chapter, 1 John chapter 1. What I want us to see today is, and why we study this, we need to see the awful consequences of sinning and the lie that sin is in your best interest. And that's what we wrestle with every day. Do I do this or I don't do this? Well, I know that's sin, but it seems like this is in my best interest. Therefore, will I sin or will I not? Therefore, we back up, we look at the big picture again, and that's why John begins with this statement. This, then, is the message which we have heard of Jesus Christ, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. As we want a relationship with God, we need to always remember sin is never in our best interest. Sin never is, is good for us. Sin always damages us. So when you're tempted to lie or to cheat or to steal or to be immoral or to, and you fill in the blank, the answer is... Though it looks good, it's going to damage your relationship with God. And he said, I wrote these things unto you so that your joy could be full. That was God's desire for us. John said, Christians claim fellowship. It's the Christian thing to do. As John the aged, at this point an older man, is rehearsing in his mind the things that he had heard, the things that he had seen, the things that he had investigated, all of these things, John says, lead to fellowship. You know, we can talk about the wonderful fellowship we have, and yet we feel emptiness, we feel the absence about the things we talk about. We were just talking about our church fellowship in two weeks. What is that? It's people who have things in common that love to be together. And the greatest thing we have in common is the fact that each of us have had our sins forgiven. And we now are walking in the light. Christians talk about fellowship. It's something you hear all the time. A lot of times it means casseroles. But the reality is not casseroles. The reality is the relationships that are taking place. So we may claim to have fellowship, but it's not what we say, but what we do that will accurately describe the kind of fellowship we have with God and with other believers. What would you expect to hear when someone is talking about their friend? They enjoy fellowship. The thing that I learned when I started dating my wife was this, there was no one else that I enjoyed being with as much as I did her. And the more time I spent with her, the more fellowship we had and the more I enjoyed that fellowship together. So, if you heard me say, oh yes, Cindy and I have fellowship with each other, and you would say, when was the last time you guys did anything together? And I would say, hmm. I don't know. You would be suspect. 
you would begin to wonder what is that relationship really like. John says, if we say we have fellowship, this is what you would expect to hear from a believer. I have fellowship with the Lord. I enjoy my time with the Lord. And verse 5 describes the first part of fellowship, and that is, we know what God is like. God is holy. Now beginning at verse 6, and we're going to see in verse 6 and verse 8 and in verse 10, John repeats himself three times in these verses to make sure we understand the trouble part of having fellowship with God. Verse 6 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. John addresses three common mistakes, three common errors believers make concerning sin. Because of these errors, we fail to enjoy fellowship with God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just remember that John says it is normal for Christians to claim fellowship. Let's pray together and then we'll dive into the text. Our Father, this morning, we need the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. We've come in with lots of burdens, a lot of baggage. And we're praying, Father, that you would use your word. That you would use the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. And that we would go out today having our minds focused on important truth. Father, if there's someone here that has been doing their best, they've been trying their hardest, but they have never come to understand what genuine salvation is, I pray that today would be a liberating day as the truth speaks to their mind and in their will, they submit to you. Thank you, Lord. I ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In the late 1960s, fresh out of high school, a star athlete and an award-winning swimmer named Matt Minahan received his appointment to Annapolis, the Naval Academy. Matt quickly rose to be a group leader. He was disciplined and he was well-liked by his classmates. His name was, his last name is Minahan, and everyone nicknamed him Lindahand because he was always willing to help out his fellow students. During the summer of his junior year, he was deployed to a ship in Vietnam for two weeks where they were just trying to get them acclimated to what it's gonna be like to be on a ship if in fact that was gonna be the kind of vehicle he was assigned to. Little did any of the junior officers or the sailors on that ship know that at some point during that two weeks, the water supply on the ship was tainted with Agent Orange. Matt had no idea what was taking place. He was there for the two weeks, went back to Annapolis, finished his last two years, and received his appointment. He was commissioned as a watch commander on a submarine. 
and he began his career as a naval officer. Matt married, had three beautiful daughters, later got out of the Navy, became a successful businessman. All the while, the effects of Agent Orange were slowly and quietly working in his body. His strong athletic body began to decay. He went from a cane to a walker, from a walker to a wheelchair, from a wheelchair to a motorized wheelchair, and finally from the wheelchair to a bed where he was nearly rigid. Matt went from being a group leader and an articulate speaker to barely able to communicate. And finally, in the last days with Matt, he would just blink. Matt died in his mid-60s, his mind trapped in that rigid body. He was not a drug user, was not a drinker, he didn't abuse his body, yet somehow on a ship in the 1960s when he was still in college, Matt was tainted with a silent killer which genetically altered his body. And from that point on, it was only a matter of time Matt was going to die. The trouble of sin. What are three errors that John exposes about the trouble with sin? Because, you see, until we recognize the trouble with sin, we will not understand the severity and the danger of it. Error number one, the nature of sin is awful. Verse six, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. You see, so often we want to focus on individual sins. We talk about, well, you shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do this. But the reality is, there is more to sin than sins. You see, sin, the trouble with sin is, sin is its own kingdom. It's a, it reigns in this world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Love not the world. Now, it's not talking about this globe that God made. What's it talking about? It's talking about a sin system. You see, it is its own system in which people live. And we now live within two worlds. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you live in two worlds. You can now live in one of two worlds. Before you receive Christ, you're just in one world. You're under the domination of sin and Satan. But now as a believer, you can live in a different world. You see, sin, though, is beyond just what I do. Sin is a realm in which we live. We focus on visible symptoms rather than the core trouble. You see, God designed this world to be holy. He designed marriage to be holy. He designed family to be holy. He designed creation and relationships to be holy. But sin damaged every part of this world. And we live now in a world where there are two there are two kingdoms that are at war with each other. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 says, "In whom the God of this world." 
Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 says, according to the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, for we wrestle against the rulers of the darkness of this world. What's this describing for us? You see, there is a wicked world. There is this wicked kingdom, the kingdom that Satan is now reigning in. And he talks about this. He says, and walk in darkness. If we say that we have fellowship with the holy God and walk in darkness, what does walking in darkness mean? It means walking in a way that opposes God. It's opposed to God. It represents living our lives, our days, not thinking about God. And when we do remember, and when we do, we're not really remembering that God is holy. You ever hear people say, why does God allow this? Stop and think for a moment. Why would people ask that question? Because when we see wickedness, it reminds us in our very being that we know that sin is inconsistent with God. Therefore, we're saying, why? When we ask why, we are in fact remembering, that's not what my God is like. I recently just was speaking to a man who is having real physical difficulties and he says, I don't know why God allows this. And I said, let me tell you, I think I can tell you why. I said, God is holy and God is good. I said, but we live in a sinful world. What you're really questioning is not whether God is good. You're trying to figure out where all this evil comes from. And God gives us a choice. And you have a choice. And I said, but the good hope we have is when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, we are looking for a day when he is going to come in and purge this whole world and all the sin is going to be burned up, and we're going to have a perfect world again. You see, walking in darkness reminds us God is holy. The error that we make is we forget the nature of sin, the whole, the, the, the whole awfulness of sin. We often focus on what holiness is not. Well, I'd like to remind you this morning, beauty is rooted in holiness. Real beauty is rooted in holiness. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29, what do we read? Given to the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering, come before him, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. What does it say? Worship God doing the right thing. True beauty is rooted in holiness. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21. He appointed singers unto the Lord and that should praise the beauty of holiness. I would submit to you, good music is rooted in a lack of evil. Good music is rooted in holiness. Psalm 29, verse 2. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. What's he telling us? Apart Part of our worship is in choosing the holy things. Psalm 96, verse 9. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him. True worship has its foundation in who God is. That's the reason why we do not worship based on what we want. 
We could grow very quickly. We could become very popular because all we need to do is give people what they like, what, what reflects what they are. But the reality is we don't do that. Why? Because true worship is based in God's holiness. You see why as we talk about Hamartiology, as we talk about the doctrine of sin and we talk about the doctrine of holiness, these are really important because how do you get from here to here? God tells us, I want you to be holy because I'm holy. I want to be with you. You see, we're not seeing an angry God that's trying to strike us down. We're seeing a holy God and a just God who loves us so much that he provided a gracious way that we could be restored to him. And that's what John is telling these believers that he's talking to. The key truth here is the very nature of sin destroys because sin dominates and destroys. Satan today wants us as believers to say, oh, a little sin doesn't hurt anything. A little trouble doesn't hurt anything. But the problem is, is that God is holy. And if we want to enjoy fellowship with him, we cannot allow sin to be something that we tolerate. What's the second error? Look at verse 8 with me. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The second error that many people make is forgetting that our very natures are sinful. The nature that leads to the acts of sin each of us has within us. This is why we still sin. We are constantly influenced by our sin nature. When we address the question of why we sin, it leads us to discouragement, but then it also leads us to hope. If you would... Let's turn to Romans chapter 7, and I want you to see this passage of Scripture with me. We're going to begin at verse 18, and we'll go through verse 24. Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 18. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? What was Paul saying? Paul was saying, I, I know I am Christ's, I know I'm a believer, and I'm really frustrated with the fact that the things that I want to do, that I know I ought to do, that the Bible tells me I should do, I don't do. Hmm. Sound familiar? And the things that I know I shouldn't do and I don't want to do, and my mind says, don't do that, that's bad. That's what I do. And he said, 
Oh, wretched man that I am. In fact, you know what he describes? He says, what is causing me to do this is the nature of sin that is still within me. And today, if you're a believer in Christ, you still have that sin nature within you. The Bible never says that the sin nature is not there. But what the Bible does tell us is God gives us his word, which is a light and is a lamp so that we know what to do. He gives us the Holy Spirit so that we are enabled to do those things. And then we have to choose. And it's a daily choice that we are making. And all of a sudden we begin to realize, oh, I know why I am the way I am. I don't like the way I am that I am. But at least now I get it. I have a sin nature still living within me. Do you know what? Just because I'm saved does not make me a kind husband. I'm selfish. I'm self-centered. Just because I'm saved doesn't make me a good dad. Just because I'm saved doesn't make me a good pastor. The only way any of those good things will ever take place is when I, on a daily basis, am submitting to God. How do I know that? Because every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Anything that I do that's good is not because I'm just good. It's because of what God is doing in me. You see, there is something evil, there is something awful in each one of us. It is my sinful nature. And John is saying, look, if we say that we have no sin, if we don't acknowledge this, we're deceiving ourselves. If we don't recognize what's happening, we deceive ourselves. This is why you have sinful thoughts. This is why you have sinful desires. This is why you have sinful imaginations. We must never say that we have no sin. If we do, we're deceiving ourselves. In fact, if we do, we're setting ourselves up for failure because we're going to say, oh, I've got this down, and then we go through the day and we find that we fail in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. And we do it day after day, and we're discouraged, and we say, I thought Christianity was supposed to change this. No, Christianity changed our relationship with God because when God looks at you, He sees that you have been justified. But you've not been sanctified. And we're waiting for a day when glorification is going to take place. But those two, sanctification is taking place on a daily basis. And it's taking place with a partnership between you and God. Let's look at error number three. The error is we don't recognize that our sin must be addressed and be forgiven. Verse 10 if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The lie we are believing, we are not, we are denying God's message. When we fail to recognize the true nature of sin, when we fail to recognize our own natures are sinful to their core, when we fail to recognize that we have sinned and need forgiveness, when we say, I have fellowship with God and I am fine, we're lying. Those people that are outside of God's boundaries, those people that are looking at us are saying, wow, I thought they were Christian. 
those believing that God made a mistake in their gender, those believing that it's okay to live outside God's boundaries of marriage, what are they doing? They're believing a lie. They're thinking, I'm okay with God. I can go to church. I can have a right relationship with God. But you can't. And what's happened is they're believing a lie. In fact, what they're really saying is God lied. We are telling lies when we say God's wrong about sin. It's okay for me to do this. But that's what the world is telling us right now. The world in all their movies and all their publications and all their music is telling us it's okay to do this. We don't need forgiveness. But we do need forgiveness. Mark Levy is a 30-year pilot. He's a 747 captain. He has a passion, though, for flying World War II aircraft. In May of 2018, he was flying a P-51 that had been restored, a P-51 fighter, for the annual Duxford, England air show. They had been flying throughout the day, and they were on their final formation, this incredible sight of all these antique aircraft that are flying in formation. They were going to do one last formation flyby the stands, and then they were going to land. Mark says, as he came around for the last approach, he said he heard the engine stutter. And he said, in my mind, I thought, well, maybe I just got a little bad fuel. But he said, in my mind, he said, I'm burning 40 gallons of fuel an hour. He said, a little water in my tank at this point was not going to make it do this. He said, in my mind, I wanted to deny what was taking place. But afterwards, he made this statement. He said, from the first warning of engine trouble until he crashed, he had 103 seconds. In less than two minutes, he was going to crash. And in fact, he said what made it difficult was the engine would start and then it would stop. And the engine would start and he would have hope that maybe I'm going to make the airport. And then it would stop and he'd go, I'm not going to make the airport. This plane doesn't fly slower than 160 and he said, when I started having engine trouble, I was only flying 180. He said, I didn't have much time to figure out what I was going to do, but I had to do something. I had to decide in 103 seconds, would I live or what would I do? He said those 103 seconds later, he had, been, he was, had a couple cameras in there, so he knew how long it took. He said, what I decided would impact what happened to me. He said he wanted to, at first, deny that he even heard it. He would just pretend that the engine was running. He said, I've been a captain for a very long time. He said, I've been teaching for a very long time. He said, denying that the engine's not running does not make the engine run. So he said, I used the rest of the time I had to save my life. I would make decisions that would benefit me before the crash because I was going to crash. Could I use that illustration from Mark, from his life, for each of us? The point is, each of us are damaged by sin. It's not if, it's when, because we've been damaged by sin, when will we crash? The clock is ticking. Like my friend Matt, many of you 
Some of you may not have realized that you've been infected by the awful, the awfulness of sin. Because you are in Adam, from Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, because you are in Adam, you are a sinner. Imputation. You say, well, that's not fair. Actually, it's a wonderful gift from God, and I'll explain that in just a moment. But you're not only, you're not only going to die because you are in Adam through imputation. You are going to die because you are a sinner in action. Each one of us have done wrong things. But the blessing is this. The Bible says, for as in, because of Adam, all mankind dies, even so in Christ shall all people be able to be made alive. Imputation. I can be in Adam, and I am because of my birth, but I can be in Christ. And in Christ, I can have my sins forgiven. Like Captain Levy, you don't get the choice of crashing. But you do get... 103 seconds before you crash to decide what you're going to do. Now, I don't know how many seconds you have left. But the one thing that a pilot will tell you, once he knows that the engine's not running, he's not doing anything else but looking for a place to land, looking for a way to secure his safety, and he realizes from that point on that his plane is nothing but a vehicle to protect him when he lands. He's, he doesn't care what happens to his plane. He only cares what happens to him. So often we get caught up in these bodies and we begin to say, you know, but I want to do this, but I want to do this. And we're thinking, you know, I'll deal with the crash later. The reality is God's given you a body now to make a decision. And the Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die, once to crash. After that, it's the judgment. What is John teaching us? If we don't have a change of mind about what God is like, there's no darkness in God. If we don't have a change of mind about God, if we don't have a change of mind about ourselves, that we are sinful to the core, there is nothing. I can't make up for the little sin things that I do because I am sinful to the core. If I don't have a change of mind about that I am in violation of God's holiness, I need forgiveness and I need cleansing, then I'm calling God a liar. In reality, I'm the liar. Lying to the world who knows what I claim, that I claim to be a Christian and yet I live in darkness. Lying to myself because I think this is all there is to fellowship and lying about God, that God has darkness in him. This doctrine of sin, of hamartiology, is so important if you were to understand and enjoy the doctrine of salvation. You see, we're going we're gonna to look at what salvation means, but before we can study that doctrine, we have to understand the doctrine of sin. Because until you realize you're a sinner to the core, in your very nature, you're going to miss the blessing of God's gift. Until you realize... That it's not just the things that you do which are wrong, but it's your very nature. 
You can't do good things because at your very core you're a sinner. Your only hope is Jesus Christ. To have fellowship with God, we realize that He is holy, totally holy, without sin. And I can't do enough to earn my way to heaven. 103 seconds. What will you do with the time you have to prepare for the inevitable?